What's up and welcome to Ahead of the Curve. This is your host, Jonathan Gellner, and thank you so much for joining us today. This podcast is powered by Stick and Ball TV, the baseball and softball streaming platform. If you haven't gotten a chance to check it out already, check them out at stickandball.tv or on the Stick and Ball TV mobile app. On today's show, we have on Virginia Commonwealth head coach Sean Stiffler. Stiff enters his 10th season at the helm of the VCU baseball program, and over his tenure, the Rams have climbed back into national prominence. VCU stands as one of just eight programs in the country with 34-plus wins over the last seven full seasons. Stifler was named the sixth head coach of the VCU baseball program in December 2012 following the passing of his mentor, Paul Keyes. He was then promoted after serving as the associate head coach for the first half of the 2012 campaign and serving as the interim head coach for the remainder of the season. So on the show, we discuss what it was like to be thrown into the fire after the unfortunate circumstances surrounding Coach Keys and what he was fighting through. We talk culture, and we spent a lot of time on how they're attacking moments this fall. Here is Sean Stifler. Stiff, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Jonathan. Always, uh, always fun. My second time, so it, you know I appreciate you having me <laughs> no back. No doubt, of course. And so I, uh, first time we met a couple years ago. Wow, seems like ages ago. Uh, the Virginia Coaches Clinic and manage you, you absolutely nailed your presentation. I loved having you on the podcast, and you've been a guy that I wanted to circle back with ever since. And so I, I'm really, really excited to you know share some airtime with you today and get to share you with the guests, but. If we were so let let's let's rewind uh, for yeah. to a few years ago, and so you get the you get your uh, head coaching job, and yep. you go through the interview process. Everybody knows, you know, questions that we're going to ask. You know, really hard and and really, uh, I'm sure, thought provoking for sure. But then you accept the job, and then it's like, now what? Where's the manual yeah. for this? You know, <laughs> and so I would love to hear what did your vision look like from day one. So like they talk about the presidential first 100 days. So what did your first 100 days look like? What were some of your first steps? What were some maybe missteps that you wish you could have done differently? But listening to it this time of year, there's a lot of coaches that are going through it. So talk to us about what what you went through, how you want it, and then uh, any advice that you have for those guys. And well, so I was, you know, I was thinking you'd ask me something like this. And, and I got to tell you, I probably have as big of a unique story as anybody in college baseball. And, and I don't know if, I don't know if it's going to help the way maybe you, you thought when you asked the question, it's going to help. Sure. I got, the, you know, I came to, I came to my job. Um, I was the assistant associate head coach here at Virginia Commonwealth. Um, and Paul Keyes was a longtime head coach and was stricken with um, stage five melanoma. And so, so in uh, 2012 spring, he started to to have back pain. And okay. as we progressed through the season, it got worse and worse. And finally, he got a chance to get him to the doctor. And we mm-hmm. had found at that point he was, was probably going to be blessed with maybe six more months of life. And so, boom, okay, here, you know, now you're running the program. Head coach literally, like, left that that day, okay, and, and had to start – start fighting for his life and taking care of his family and, and kind of and preparing himself for that. And so immediately I just got thrown into <clears throat> thrown into the fire and I've been very, very lucky and blessed working for Paul Keys. And he prepared me as a head coach every day, worked for 
um, longtime uh, baseball coach at, at uh, George Mason University, Bill Brown, same. Just prepared me, um, you know, to be ready for a I don't know, never, you're never ready for a scenario like this, but prepared me to be able to take over over the team. And, and so we had to finish the rest of that spring and myself and, and our assistant coach at the time, Jeff Palumbo, who's now associate head coach at East Carolina. Coach, I took the pitchers and away we went. Jeff took the offensive players and away he went. And we really just stayed in charge of those of those areas. Um, but had to had to walk a team through losing and dealing with um, the life of their of their current head coach and and and, and understanding that we were gonna probably have to mourn uh, the loss of him. It did happen about six or seven months later that fall. Um, but however, come to grips with that. Um, so there was a lot of teaching and, and, and some moments there that, uh, that I'll never forget. And, and as painful it is, it was at the time to go through it. There are some things that I've learned and some, some bonds that I've made during that time that I'll never forget. And, and that I will cherish forever, including my relationship with Paul Keys as he got sick and how much we grew. But, you know, we, you, you really learn of what you don't need when you go through a scenario like that and, and what a program really needs and what a program doesn't need. And, um, you know, as we moved through and, and Paul ended up passing, I then took over the program um, for good at the, in the spring of 2013, it, it took till about a year and a half after that till I really felt like the program had evolved into mine and where I was making decisions and I was no longer just trying to keep the program surviving from the fact that, you know, when you when you have a, a legendary head coach pass away, you're trying to keep recruits. You're trying to you're trying to figure out who you are as a head coach. You're trying to keep the guys on your team from transferring. You're trying to live up to the expectations that he set. So it took me a long time to find my identity. To be to be dead honest with you, as a head coach, and I had to come to that a little bit differently than a lot of people. So the first year and a half was just spent keeping going what was going. So that the people in the program didn't feel like things had uh, things had taken a step back, and then slowly start to input, you know, some of my vision, some and some things that I would do differently, and 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 I've slowly done that over the last, you know, six or seven years of of like you know, like the position is mine. I've had an unbelievable administration who have made me feel as the head coach from the moment they they. Um, that they offered me the job. They, they instantly were, you know, as much as they love Paul Keyes and, and love the Met and we wanted to honor the memory of him. They were very adamant letting me know that at this point now the program was in, was in my hands and I was in charge of it. And they had full faith in me and confidence. And, uh, you know, but I will tell you this, Jonathan, no matter how you come, you come into becoming a head coach, you don't know what you don't know. Sure. And um, things arrive on your desk where you're like, okay, well, who, who should I go to for this? And then the person across the desk from you will say, you're the person who has to deal with it. You know, you have to, you know, you have to su surround yourself with really good assistants who have the same vision and, and you have to have a administration that feels the same way. But um, you have to, you have to understand that there are things that are going to come up that, that you can't necessarily prepare for because you haven't thought of preparing. And where, again, and we're going to talk about this probably throughout the entire podcast tonight, but that's where your core values, your standards, your beliefs have to be strong and you have to stick to them and not waver off of them because um, you're going to need those. And that and that really is the core basis for all your decision making. So 
So to be quite honest with you, I've never won an interview. I've never gone in and, and been the guy that, you know, I kind of came into it differently. Um, doesn't mean that I'm, I wasn't prepared. It doesn't mean, you know, but because um, they could have said no. And, and one of the things that Paul Keyes had always told me when I was an assistant here is he told me to act every day like the program was was in my hands. He told me to make every decision like I was a head coach. And so he gave me the freedom to do that. I never overstepped. You know, I never looked at him in the seventh inning and said, you should have bunted there. You know, that 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 wasn't what he was saying. What he was saying was take the piece of the program that he gave me ownership with and really make make decisions in it and really try to manage it. And I think uh, I think a lot of young coaches want that ownership. But we all, but we also need to understand that what comes with leadership and comes with responsibility is making tough decisions. And if you're going to be in charge, um, you know, at what point you do become a head coach, you're not going to be able to look over your shoulder and ask somebody, who, you know, what do you think? I mean, obviously you want mentors and people to, to, to ask to, but, um, you know, I, I would encourage anyone, if you want ownership and you want a piece of the program to be yours, then you also have to take on the responsibility of, the tough conversations, the tough questions. Mm-hmm. No, I love that. And so you mentioned your, you know, your, your process of coming up with standards and core values. And just this morning I was listening to uh, Ryan Hawks uh, learning leader show and, and he had on a basketball coach in Ohio. And so he let, he, you know, he laid out his standards and said, and so Ryan flipped this question on him and he said, well, what if, what if you guys don't win with your standards? And he goes, I can live with that. He goes, but, yeah once we get away from being who we are and who we want to be and, and how we want our programs run, then that's when I can't, I can't live with that. So question number one, I, I mean, I, I would love to hear your process in coming up with those. And, and that just, I guess that just, that triggered, uh, you know, that, that response that, that I heard that this morning and, and you mentioning that is, it's kind of along the same lines, which I really, really want to highlight. Yeah. I, I think, you know, when, when it comes to, um, set, starting to learn your core values and your stand. I, I think the first thing you have to do is, is look, look internally, like, like the standards that we have kind of created for the program at VCU are the only standards to be honest with you, the, that I know how to live and coach by. Like, I, like I, I couldn't live and coach by somebody else's standards because they're not, they don't, they don't mean that much to me. If you, sure. if you know what I'm Absolutely. saying, of course, you know, there, there's pieces that we all want to pull but they have to be the standards that you absolutely believe down to your breath. Like, like they have to be the pieces that you absolutely cannot waver from. And, you know, and, and obviously we have, we have, you know, where comes our standards and from our standards may become some team rules. Okay. But really at the end of the day, you know, we ask our guys to be Rams. We ask them to be responsible. We ask them to attack the moment. We ask them to be mentally tough and we ask them to serve each other. We're Rams. Okay. And so, so the first thing we, t- we talk about is responsibility every day to be able to, to show up, to show up and, and, and whatever your responsibility is to do in that moment, being ready to be ready. We talk about all the time. Um, you know, when you go to class, what does ready to be ready mean? It means when you sit down and class starts at eight o'clock, you are sitting down, you're in there, your notes are out, your books out, your laptops are open, you're ready to be ready. When the fastball is coming, you're on time and ready to be ready to hit it. You know, we talk to our guys about being responsible means ready to be ready to us. And from there, we, we want to do everything with an aggressive and a forward mindset. We want to we want to attack the day. You know, I'm, I'm a firm believer your day is going to go exactly how you create it. 
I'm a, I'm a big believer that of that your culture is going to go exactly how you how you create it. And so we try to attack everything we do. And then we ask them to be mentally tough enough to understand that it's not going to go well every day and, and that you have to be coachable and that you have to be ready to um, to understand that there's going to be bad days. And then on those bad days, you have to do what is your job in that moment, regardless of how you feel. And then to serve each other, you know, to serve the community, to serve the university um, and, and to, to serve the team. And we're just trying to, you know, I think anytime we're going through a moment, whether it's a team or with somebody else, you just, you just serve the person next to you. And that was one of the things I learned from, from when Paul was passing away and I was, you know, going through that with him, how much he gave to us, to, to myself and my family. Like he just, he was always worried about what was going on in the prayer, always worried about how my family was doing. And here he was really living out the end of his life. And, and so you got to serve if you want to be really, really happy. And so we start there with our core values. Um, we start, you know, it, it's those things that we think are, are, um, you know, really at the front of our program. And, and then from there, you know, we talk more about standard and really anything else, you know, the, the standard of how we're going to play, you know, you know, your team, your team changes year to year, but your standards and how you play, you know, I, I want people to know no matter what the name is on the back of the Jersey that, Oh, that looks like a VCU team where they act like a VCU team. And so, you know, we, we set our standards and those, those have kind of, you know, we've added standards, we've taken standards away, you know, you know, a little bit from time to time. I'm not a big rules guy. Okay. We have very, we have very few rules. I think core values and standards take care of you not having to have more rules. I, I tell the team all the time, the more rules you have, the more rules you need. It's like everything else, you know, um, That's you know, great. I, you know, uh, you know, you, you end up having to create roles because you've set other roles. And so what I what I've never wanted to set out to be was a guy who said something, hey, this is really important to me on one day and then forgot about it the next. I never wanted to be that as a head coach. Right. OK. And, and, and so that's why everything that we do in our program is really which I have learned up to that point. OK. I mean, it, you know, like what we do in our program is as good of a coach as I am today. I don't try to do anything different than what I truly understand and I believe is at the core of my value or is at the core of my values. And so mm -hmm. um, we, we talk about standards all the time, whether it's academic standards, whether it's on the field standards and whether it's in, you know, in the community standards. Um, I mean, we talk about those things every day and how, you know, and, and ways and, you know, ways to improve them, ways to, ways to get better at them, you know, but I think those are things, if you're, if you're coming up with the standards of your program, they have to believe they have, you have to be able to write them down on a piece of paper within five seconds. And if you can't do that, they're not a standard of yours. They're not, they're not a core value of yours. You should be able to write your core values down within five sentences. Like, and if it's more than that, it's probably, you've probably gone too far. Sure. No, it reminds me of, uh, whenever, uh, Steve Kerr went out and met with Pete Carroll. Are you familiar with that story? I'm not. So, so Steve Kerr just got the uh, Golden State Warriors job, and he loved Pete Carroll's practices. So he he went out to uh, join him for a practice, and so he was like, "Man, I, I love this! Like, like, what are you doing?" And he talked about a lot of the same stuff that that you're mentioning. Of hey, it's got to be yours. He said tomorrow, he, he told, so Pete told Steve, hey, tomorrow I'll come back and bring a list of things that are really important to you. 
And so Steve said he spent like all night trying to come up with this just exhaustive list. And he said he, he came back with like 20 things. And then Pete was like, no, you need to get it down to three. And so he was like, oh my gosh. So I know one of them is uh, joy. I know one of them is competitiveness, but it just goes back to, you know, what you were saying. If you can't say it in five sentences, then it's really not a core value. It's not something that you can hold them accountable to on a daily basis. And so I, I, I want to flip the question with you too. So you've got, uh, you've got being responsible, attack the moment. I love attack the moment, by the way, that's, that's amazing. And then selfless and serve all, all, you know, four really, really good ones. So let's, let's say that, uh, and without maybe even giving a name, I'm sure that there's been a situation that's come up that, that, you know, student X has not been mm -hmm. responsible in the classroom, or maybe they left their equipment out or something. What does that conversation look like? Because, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's one thing to, to say these, and it's another thing right. to hold them accountable to what they signed up for. Well, that happened today. Oh, nice. So, awesome. Yeah, I mean, I mean, this stuff happens daily, you know, sure, and, and no, so you're dealing, you're dealing with, especially this time of year, you're dealing with so many newcomers, right? And, and they're learning and, and they're trying to, um, you know, I think, I think, again, I think you have to take everything on a case by case basis a little bit, you know, um, you know, you, there are times where it's a gentle pat on the shoulder and be like, hey, man, this is not how we act. You know, your locker needs to be kept this way. Okay, this is the standard of how we keep things here, and this is. Um, and then there's there's a conversation today where I'm not going to get into a he said she said with academic coordinators or professors. Mm -hmm. The guys know that. Okay, I, I tell people all the time. You know what's important to you. You know your values show what's important to you, or your actions show what's important to you. And so, um, I tell the guys all the time, how do you know that you're in the lineup? Well, I check as soon as you post it. Yeah, because it's important to you. Sure. All right. But yeah, you don't check your you don't check your homework assignments that night. You, you know, and, and so so at the end of the day, you know, just just continuing to make them understand what is important to them and how every action, you know, for instance, you know, we had two guys today that um, weren't hand they missed some assignments, weren't handing in work, they just weren't managing their time right. And I said, Okay, well, you need to step away from baseball until you get these assignments ready and man and manage your time right. And then we had a another player get injured today, and before you know it, we were down to one middle infielder at practice today. And so you know, you, you look at the team and you you say, okay, if this is April, all right, you know, because you know these two guys made bad decisions and could not be a part of the program today because they didn't take care of their academics, and then this guy really got hurt. Like this is a real this is a real injury. This guy really got hurt. We're down to one middle infielder. Right? And so that affects all of us and affects the entire team. And so, you know, you just try to use those moments to, to educate the guys um, and, and, and make them see that, look, you know, if, if somebody doesn't turn an assignment or we do the wrong thing at the wrong time of year, that could cost us, you know, a game. And that game could be the game that costs us making the conference tournament or being in that large team. Like, like, you know, this decisions have ripple effects on, on, everything that they, you know, everything that you do, you have a ripple effect on how you're affecting people and how you're affecting the people beside you. And so we just constantly try to make them understand that the, you know, every decision they, they, they do is going to affect the rest of the team and the person beside them. The other thing we talk about all is you cannot win a championship in the fall. You can't do it. You can't win a championship in the fall. You have to layer days on top of each other, but you can lose a championship in the fall. 
You can. We can lose a championship on any on any day, mm. just by people not going to school, not doing the right thing, acting up, getting hurt. You know, you know, not being eligible. So you can lose a championship on any given day. And so, but but to earn a championship, you won't do that until April and May. You have to stack days on top of each other. That 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 rent is due every day. But uh, you can certainly lose one. Yeah. And today, you know, and today we took steps towards losing one. To be that honest with you. And so, you know, I, I think that. You know, again, it was long-winded on your answer. I think you handled yeah, you handle those situations a little bit differently, and and I, I do believe in giving rope at times. I'm, I'm not in there just just I, what I don't want to do is go in and be, you know, when I walk into the room, I don't want to take the joy out of it. Sure. I can't like, like like you do not want to be taking the joy out of your team to where they think they have to be so perfect on every time. I want them to be guys. I want them to be dudes. I want them to to to, to love and trust and, and make mm-hmm. mistakes. So you have to be able to you have to be able to manage that. You're going to give them a little bit of rope. You know, I you can't ask them to be choir boys all week and then devils <laughs> on the weekend. You, you know, I mean, we all want our teams to be savages and and take chances and take risks and and well, that just doesn't Have happen. On the, yeah, that doesn't happen on the field without there being a little bit of some some eggs broken during the week. So, you, I mean, you got to be willing to have hard conversations when they screw up while not, not putting it in a, into a scenario where, it, where you just detriment the entire season. And, and don't be afraid to make examples of your best players. Hmm. you got to pick times when you can toss a guy out of, out of you know, a drill or, or tell a guy to sit down for a minute where maybe that freshman looks up and says, Oh, they're telling that guy to sit down. Sure. Yeah. I better shape up here, you know? And and so I think you just, you, you gain, you gain experience. You're going to pick your fights more and more as you get older on what you want to pick. But again, those core values set the tone for how I make every decision, you know? And then as long as you have strong core values that you believe in, every decision is really quite easy. The conversation is tough. But you know what you're going to tolerate and what you're not, and and you know it, it's it's really easy when you get into those recruiting talks or you get into those into those disciplinary talks with parents or whatever. Hey, here's the standards. He's well below the standards. You can see that, and the parents will nine times out of ten will look up and be like, "No, you're right. You're right." No, that's really good. And you know, uh, just to highlight a couple of things uh, that you said, you know, it's 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 one thing of upholding the standard and it's another thing of almost suffocating them yeah. to a point of where there's no joy. And, and I struggle with that sometimes too. And it's mainly on the focus in or the effort in rather than the, uh, the attempts at, at different things. And so I, that's definitely something that, that I've tried to walk the line of, okay, this has been firmly established and defined and they're, they're towing the line on this versus, okay, maybe we haven't gone over this enough to where they know, where they're at. And so having those standards clear and defined and I, and I love that. And, and I just, I, I wanted to make sure I highlight that too, because you know, it's, it's, it's not a, it's not a gray area to say, but once you have those defined, then it's like, okay, Hey, listen, this is, this is what we define. This is what we've talked about. And this is where you're at. And it makes that conversation a little bit easier, at least. hundred percent, hundred percent. I think the other thing you have to be able to do if you know, I think good leaders and good coaches do this. Um, you get a sense for when things are starting to get there. Okay. And so I think good coaches and good leaders, whether it's even on a, on a play or a production or something that's in the field or it's something off the field, 
I think good coaches are able to look up a day or two ahead of time and somehow create a practice plan or a classroom act, you know, activity that is getting ahead of this, getting ahead of this scenario uh, and getting ahead of whether it's, you know, usually about the fourth week of school is when the first exams come around. All right. And at VCU. So, you know, I mean, at that week, we're usually going to have academic meetings prior to those, you know, and just make sure guys are in a good place before they get to their exams. You know, and if I see, you know, if we're, if we're doing enough charting and, and gameplay or whatever, and I'm starting to see maybe a decline in run production with a runner on third less than two, then you start incorporating that into your practices a little more, a little more, a little more instead of reacting to it. Sure. If that makes sense is to after it, after things go bad. And now you're, you're, you're catching up. So I, I think you just, you try to get ahead. You try to understand the feel for your room, the feel for your team, um, where your strengths and weaknesses probably lie within your group and try to coach those ahead of time. Hmm. I love that. So talk to us about, you're in the middle of the fall, by the way. And, and yep. I want to thank you for finding some time to be able to, to join us tonight and for that. But just tell us, you know, what you guys are digging into. How do we win the fall? And, and what's what's kind of your process of developing players uh, in this offseason? Yeah, so, you know, we're, we have a unique setup because we, we share a pro stadium. Um, you know, we Dude, share you a double have fantastic stadium. facilities. Thank you. I appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> we are very blessed. And, and so we do share a double A stadium. And so this year was kind of very unique. The, the pro season went about two weeks longer because it started later um, this, this past due to COVID and protocols. So we really took that time to really hit weights. I'm a, I'm a big weight room guy uh, and, and weight room for culture as well. I think the weight room sets and defines your culture that you're trying to preach as good as anywhere because guys fail, they need each other. You got to help each other and they're in pain, you know? And, and so we hit the weight room really, really hard August and early September and really got into pitching um, philosophies and our, our offensive philosophies in our cages and, and try to really isolate those on what we're trying to accomplish and, and took some time to work on. Um, I really like that time of year, this early fall, not just for swing, but that's where your assistant coaches and the players develop relationship and trust. I think that's – I think if you can – if you can just let them spend time together early on, and it doesn't have to be this drill, that drill, whatever, just talking and flipping and throwing and, and walking. And, and so I love this time for that. I would, you know, I don't think my assistants realize that that's purposely what I'm really forcing on is just the time they're spending and building that trust. Because when we do get into the fall and inner squad start and everyone starts struggling, they trust them and will go to them at that point. And I think that's, I think that's huge, but um, so and 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 you know and once we get we once the pro team kind of moves out, we move into the into the ballpark. We start our skill work like everybody else, and just you know ground balls and fundamentals of how we want to play outfield defense, infield defense. But I do tell the team when we start team, I tell them at this moment we're thinking about swing. We're going to stop thinking about. We're going to start putting together a plan on how we're going to win baseball games. We use the fall to put together our identity of how this team is going to win baseball games. And they start to understand the, th the values that I really find important when it comes to winning and the things that I really, that I really, really value when it comes to how we're going to play, but also mingling that with 
their particular skill set of this team because they're not all the same. Last year, we hit a lot of home runs and a lot of extra bases. I don't know if we have that team this year. So we have to, we have to kind of, kind of evolve a little bit from that standpoint. So that's what the fall looks like for us right now. You know, we take our inner squads and our practice play really, really, we're very competitive on it. Um, inner squads are extremely competitive at VCU. And, and we do them differently. There, some of them are extra inning inner squads. Some of them are just today we're playing. You know, other ones are scenario based. We do them differently, but they mean a lot to us. And I'm and I am keeping score. And and there's winners and losers, which I'm sure isn't isn't groundbreaking stuff, you know. But uh, I'm putting on these 45 days when we are together as a team, putting together the formula that we are going to use come February to win a baseball game. And that's really what we're trying to do. And then there's a, you know, there's individual evaluations going on and things like that. But that I talk, I mean, uh, you'll have a tough time getting me to talk anything but team concept right now. Mm-hmm. You know, no, team really concept like is at the front of everything. Sure. No, it's it's really good. And you you mentioned you guys have a ton of team stuff. What have you found uh, that you guys need to? I, I don't want to, you know, overuse the term measure, but uh, just different ways and different. Uh, different things that you guys have done to be able to try and, you know, say, Hey, listen, we need to do better at this. We, you know, we chart this or, Hey, we, we notice with, with you, you even mentioned runner at third, less than, you know, less than two, making sure we we get runs in like that. Is is there anything that you guys are doing this fall that you really like uh, as far as that goes? Well, you you know, I've, as I've grown to understand um, a little bit more of this generation player, um, I have found that maybe not so much bringing attention to things that we're not doing well, um, as opposed to just incorporating it in practice more, mm-hmm. you know, like, like if we're not doing a great, if we're not doing a great job of driving a runner into third, I really do not mention it much to the team. Okay. The coaching staff and I will talk about it. We will make sure that we are relaying the information of how we want to approach it with the team, but we're just going to, implemented into our practice scenario more and we're just going to work on it more without really bringing it into as being a because what i don't want is every time the team comes up and there's a runner on third to think about oh man we've been we've been terrible at this he's got to get this guy in and then everybody's like look you better get this guy in Mm -hmm. and that's you know that's that's 24 year old sean stifler as coach you know Mm -hmm. that's not that's not 42 year old (laughs) you know And, and so i've realized i think through then that this generation doesn't necessarily um, react to that. And I think, you know, we try to do the video game, you know, competitiveness where we're just trying to up the level every time, you know what I mean? We're just trying to, you know, because I think the new athlete is competitive in a different way. Mm-hmm. The new athlete, you know, when I grew up, you know, if you were wearing your high school Jersey and another guy was wearing his high school Jersey, you went out and fought in the street till somebody won. That's just what, you know, and, mm-hmm. and, and this athlete, is a little bit different. They are um, much more involved in the process because they've, they've heard about the process. Mm-hmm. So they, 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 they understand stacking this number on top of this number and this number and, and seeing that incremental growth. And so I think, you know, coaching that way and trying to get them to, you know, just continue to up, up the ante and layer things on top of each other is something that we really, really try to do. We just try to layer our practices and give a little bit more each each time um, when mm-hmm. it comes to when it comes to the drill work. But I'm I'm very, very big when it comes to 
we really talk about on the defensive side, we set everything up to stay out of the big inning. That's everything we do. And we do that by um, really focusing on the catcher, hit, or I'm sorry, the pitcher hitter matchup. We're always going to, we're always going to try to win that matchup no matter what mm-hmm. we believe in. We believe in attacking that part of the game. Um, you know, from there, we keep first base in, in order, or I'm sorry, second base in order as much as possible. We try to keep the base runner at first base. So we throw the ball to second base all the time when it's hit to the outfield. I mean, mm-hmm. we very rarely throw, try to throw to lead base. We're just trying to keep, keep the guy at second base. And then, um, you know, from there, we, we're just, you know, commu- communication is a big part of what we're trying to do with it, you know, from, from that standpoint is how we communicate it to where the ball needs thrown. And the last thing is we, we really don't pick a lot of balls in our program. We try to block them, you know, and we're just trying to keep the ball in front of us all the time. We try to keep the ball in front of us all the time. And we try to, we try to implement that into all of our drill work. And what I have seen is it's just helped us limit free bases as we, mm-hmm. the season. And then offensively, we have a set of, of, of metrics that we're trying to hit. You know, we, we really believe that we are trying to score five runs. We are, it, you know, we have shown that when we score five or more runs, we win over 60% of our games. And so that's our measure, you know, in offense. So, you know, sure. if we have an opportunity to ever just expand and get ahead and go up one more, whether it's, you know, we will bunt to do that. We will, look to score that runner in from third or we will hit a double. It depends on who the personnel is, but we talk about getting the five all the time and what those metrics look like to get there and what we value. And uh, we, we, we really value the three, two count. We really value, you know, um, you know, base runners and we really value pitch selection. And there's things that we really, really value that we measure on top of that, but we're just trying to score five runs. Sure. Oh, that's really good. So it uh, leads me into my, you know, my, my next question, which is how, how have you found a winning formula with where you're at? Because, you know, there are different coaches in different parts of the country that let's say, you know, someone is at LSU and then they leave for another job. It's a completely different set of circumstances that yeah. they're going to be having to deal with. And so even it doesn't matter what job you take, it's always going to be different and you have to win within the constraints of that program, good and bad. And so I'd love to hear, cause you guys have won and you've been, you know, very successful and, and you're going to, you know, brush us off and say, yeah, you know, but you have. And so I, I want to dig into, you know, how have you found uh, success with where you're at? Like what's, what's a formula that you guys are looking for? And, and you've hit a couple of them already, which I think is fantastic. But I think that you hear a lot of coaches say, Hey, we had this, we won with this. And then I wanted more or I wanted to get the first round pick or, you know, whatever. And then they're like, but that just wasn't us. That's not how we develop guys. That's not what we're good at. And so I'd love to hear you kind of work through that a little bit, if you don't mind. Yeah. Well, I think that one piece that you just touched on where, you know, you start winning and then you start wanting to up, you know, you want the first round talent, you know, and, and I think I realized pretty quickly our talent um, at VCU, though it'd be very good, um, seems to kind of, level off at a certain spot like we like some like kind of the talent level that we've gotten over the last eight to ten years is is about where we are you know i mean that i mean it's almost i don't want to say it's as good as we get sometimes but it it is we don't get much better much worse you know and and then from there you kind of look up and you know our best teams have always hit kind of between these offensive metrics and our best teams have always pitched kind of between these offensive metrics so you start to see that that the that the type of player that's attracted to your university um, 
into your style and into your ballpark, into your geographical area is, you know, kind of this type of pitcher and it's kind of this type of offensive player. So then from there, I think once you look at that, you can start to put together, if you're really honest with yourself, kind of the formula that's going to help you win. And, and you know, a, a 3.1 one ever had pitching and then, you know, kind of a 4.1 on the team where we're kind of on the edge of being mediocre. So we're going to hover in that three area usually every year. And offensively, we hover between 280 and, you know, 298, 300. You know, that's kind of where we hover. And so so you 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 take that style of player that you know you can attract and you just do you just do a great job of of finding value in them and and realizing, okay, this is kind of what they're gonna do for us and how do we make that productive. And then you start putting your formula together to what metrics really lead to winning um, for that style of player. And you know, uh, you know, we're never going to walk out there and have a bunch of guys throw the baseball 95 miles an hour. We're not. And but I also don't value that. And that's not something that I'm looking for. Um, we value strike throwers. We value guys who can throw breaking balls behind in the count. And so you have to you have to and because that's also who we can get. If, if we get a guy who's throwing the ball 95 miles an hour. Uh, chances are he is, he's broken somewhere else. He's either got command issues or maybe doesn't have a secondary pitch. You know, normally if they can, if they have command, they throw 95 and they have a good secondary pitch, they're probably not coming to VCU. Uh, and, I'm, and, and I believe in our ability, but that's, that's just the reality. But we do get guys that maybe throw 95 who don't have a secondary pitch or don't have as much command. So we have to, we have to figure out where that guy can be valuable for us and how we can develop him to use him. Um, and same offensively, you know, the guy who is six foot three can really, really run, has a ton of power and can really defend, um, doesn't come to VCU a little, uh, all that much. So we have to pick where we're going to use those different pieces or what they're deficient in. So, you know, I, I we kind of know where our numbers are going to lie and we kind of know what those breaking points are. And if you pay attention to your teams, if you, if you start looking at the numbers inside the numbers and you can kind of come up with your own your own formula for how to win. And then once I, once I've kind of figured that out, you know, six, seven years ago, to be honest with you, come off it. Like, like no matter what's new and what's new age, I learn it. I listen to it. I, I evaluate it, but I, you know, what I, what I know is what I know right now. And this is how we play. And, and so um, I just really stay to it. And I continue to try to refine that process of, the style of game that my team's going to play. And then, and, you know, now that I've been a head coach for, you know, I think this will be my 10th year maybe or almost 10 years. Um, it's pretty much, this is, this is the style we're going to play. This is who Sean Siffler's football teams are going to look like, you know, and Nick Saban's football teams kind of look a certain way, you know, and, you know, and, and so not that I'm anywhere near him, but like, you just, you, you just kind of get your style, but you get the, but you get really good at coaching it. And the biggest thing is find players who, who can help help that piece? You know, help that piece up. Thank you for listening to Ahead of the Curve. You can subscribe on your favorite podcast platform, which can include Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, or YouTube. And if you're enjoying the podcast, please share it on social media to help get the word out. Once again, thank you for joining us.